Exodus chapter number 4 this morning will begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. The Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he cast it on the ground, and he cast... And he cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. The Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they might, may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom, and he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put, for, uh, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry ground. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. The Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the great privilege that I have to preach this morning. I'm so thankful this college, these faculty members, what this place did for me uh, cannot be overstated. Lord, You really spoke to me in many chapels just like the one we're in now. And Lord, I pray that Your hand would be mighty upon me. And I feel very much like Moses, Lord. I'm not an eloquent man. A little bit slow of speech. I don't always say the right thing. But Lord, You promised him You would be with his mouth. And so this morning I ask that You would fulfill that same promise in my life. Lead me in this pulpit. I ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. See, I am, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit an odd guy. I'm not what you would consider like the traditional West Coasty. Uh, I didn't necessarily do everything the right way. I'll, I'll give you an example of that. One day uh, after Greek 1, me and a couple of the guys in the class decided it would be a good idea to see how many people we could fit in the elevator in the Revels building. And so we decided to uh, get just a, a good group of fellas, and uh, we started with 16 guys. And we put 16 guys in the elevator, and we went down, and this was the first day we tried this. And then after that, we decided to keep going up in number until we didn't know what was going to happen, to be honest with you. Uh, but we got to 18, then we went to 20. And then one day, it just, I mean, we were already really tight in there. This is in the dead of winter, so we're in our jackets. We uh, have everything. I mean, we're, we got our bags. And I mean, you can imagine how tight it is with uh, 18 guys. But 
But we were just trying to like, uh, just gradually go up. And one day it was like three guys were just passing. Like, hey, let's jump in. And now we literally had 22 men in this elevator. And uh, it kind of jolted before we even touched the button. We hit the button, we go down about uh, eight feet and we get stuck between the third floor and the second floor. And this was, uh, I believe, a fourth hour class, so we're, or a third hour class, I'm not sure which one, but we're on our way to chapel. And we get stuck in the elevator in the Revels building for 44 minutes. We have to call, uh, at that time, the assistant dean of men uh, and tell him where we were. We had to get maintenance to come. 44 minutes. Now, you've got to understand, chapel is going on. And back then, I don't know if you still have them, we had scanners. We had to scan into chapel. And before all these entrances were built, the only scanners were in the back, especially if you're coming in late. So we're about 30 minutes into chapel. The, the preacher is preaching, and this is what you hear. Beep. Beep. Not just twice, though, 22 times. Oh, man. I did not do everything right while I was here, uh, but I'm so thankful uh, for what God did in my life while I was here. You understand, this place means the world to me. This, this place taught me the most valuable lesson. Let me give you a little background of where I come from. I come from a, 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 a decent-sized church in Texas. We have about 600 folks, and, and uh, we have a Christian school, about 120 folks in that. I played every sport you can imagine. I preached in preaching contests. And while I was in my small pond, I was the stuff. you got to understand, I've got more all-state patches than, than my dad would say, than Carter had liver pills. Look, I remember one time at Chili's, I was washing my hands in the sink and I was wearing my Letterman jacket. And this guy came behind me and he's blow drying his hands at, at, at the dryer there. And, and I can see him in the mirror and he's just eyeballing my jacket because I've got like 20 state patches. I played football, I played basketball, I played baseball, I played golf. I played everything. And, and, and frankly, I was pretty good at them for a Christian school with 40 in the high school. And this, this idea that I was something had soaked in. I entered preaching contests all throughout my uh, young years in the youth department. And to my knowledge, I only ever lost one. I came in second place at a very liberal institution that wasn't very into when God said kind of preaching and I lost. I came in second. I thought I was something. And then I came here. I'll be honest with you, God took the wind out of my sails. Because everything that I was good at and the person that I had become, someone here was better than me at. Like, I entered the preaching contest here, and I didn't win. I remember going out for the basketball team, and I'm like, I disqualified myself because there were 40 other guys that I considered better than me. I, and, and, and this person that I had become now is not the best at anything. And then what happened was, my mindset was, since I am so good, God's going to be able to do something great in my life. 
Right? Because I have these talents, because God's given me these abilities, God is going to use me. And now I get, and I watch these guys come up here and preach in the preaching contest. I'm like, if I were God, I wouldn't choose me. I'd choose that guy. If I was God, I wouldn't pick me. I've got a high voice. This other guy sounds like Adrian Rogers. I'm like, I wouldn't pick me. So what did I do? The greatest lesson I learned in my years of being at this place was orals. No, no, I'm just kidding. That's not it at all. (laughs) The greatest lesson that I learned while I was here was God has made me the person that I am for the place that I will serve tomorrow. Listen to me. He looks at Moses and he says, what is in thine hand? And, and, and we're going to learn just a few necessities of allowing God to use the tools that is in your hands. I want you to know this. The, the title of the sermon is, God Still Uses Hand Tools. God Still Uses Hand Tools. Let us learn together the necessities of allowing God to use these hand tools in our life. Number one, I've got to hurry because I've got like 20 minutes, okay? I've got to hurry. You've got to be relatable with the tools in your hands. Be relatable. You see, when I came to West Coast, I wasn't relatable. I thought I was everything. I was not humble about it. And frankly, I I thought I was something special. But if you study God's Word, you begin to find a pattern of God's choicest servants feeling as if they're not worthy of being in ministry. You remember what God said to Jeremiah? God told Jeremiah, how awesome would this be for God to look at you and say, I have known you from your, from your mother's womb, I've separated you, I've called you, and I've ordained you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah says, Oh, Lord God, I cannot speak. I'm just a child. Solomon, do you want to know the reason Solomon asked for wisdom? Maybe it was because he was already wise, but actually the context of the passage was God said, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon says, Lord, I've got this great ministry that you've called me to. I'm the king and I don't even know how to go out and come in. I I don't know how to judge these people. Lord, give me wisdom so I can be the king that I need to be. Why did he ask for that? Because he didn't feel worthy of the ministry God had called him to. He didn't feel capable and qualified to do what God had asked him to do. You see, in the Bible, there's this pattern of people feeling unworthy for the great undertaking that God has called them to. Moses had two primary concerns here. His first concern was about his qualifications. If you'll notice in verse number 1, Moses, after hearing God's plan, Moses says, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. He says, I'm worried, Lord, that I'm not qualified for this. I'm worried that when I begin to tell people that God appeared to me out in the wilderness, they're going to look at me and laugh. I'm worried that they're going to realize that God hasn't given any type of open revelation since the dreams that Joseph was having, which would have been 400 years prior. I'm worried that since I've been gone and away from Egypt for 40 years, I'm worried that when I come back, they're just going to look at me as a crazy man that's spent a lot of time with sheep. I'm worried that when I come back, 
it's going to play out like it did the first time when I was there and I, I saw two Hebrew brothers striving together and, and I separated them and they said, oh, who are you? Who made thee a prince or a judge over us? I'm worried that it's going to work out just the same way it did the last time. And I'll be honest with you, that was the concern I had when I was sitting in your seat. Well, I, knew, I never doubted God's call in my life, but what I doubted was my capabilities. I doubted whether God could use me knowing that I wasn't the most talented, knowing that I wasn't the most uh, charismatic, knowing that I didn't have all the answers. See, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God will make you exactly what you need to be for the place where He has put you. His main concern was about His qualifications. Then number two, He had a concern about His qualities. If you study the passage, you'll find three different times Moses directly questions himself. The first time is in chapter 3 when God is revealing this big plan. He says, number one, uh, He questions His prominence. He says, who am I? Who am I? Lord, isn't there somebody better than me? Who am I? I'm just a nobody. Who am I? He then goes on to question his pr pronunciation, right? That's what we read. He, he questions his ability to speak. And I, when I listen to good preachers, I wonder what God did when He called me. Like, when I hear a guy like Kurt Skelly preach, I'm like, that dude's so smarter. He's so much, yeah, exactly. That dude's so smarter than me. I heard one time, and you know how these like little, the scuttlebutt goes throughout college. I heard one time that Kurt Skelly is a certified genius. He has to dumb himself down to relate to people like you and me. And I believe it. I, I, I look at these guys and I'm like, God, there's no way you can use me. My voice is high and squeaky. When I actually get into preaching, my face turns all red. I mean, I wouldn't want to watch me preach. I'm a little bit like Moses. I questioned the qualities that God had given me. He not only does that, but he questions his own preference. You see, he looks at God, and after God spills out the entire plan, wouldn't it be nice if God gave you the A through Z of his plan for your life right now? He does for Moses. And Moses says, Lord, maybe you should send someone else. And this isn't really what I'm, I'm pretty content being a shepherd. Look, he, he questions his own qualities. God has equipped every servant that he's ever asked to serve. God always gives. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, and there are differences of administrations. You know what that word means? Services or ministries. There's differences of administrations. Serving God in ministry, but the same Lord, and there are diversity of operations. You know what that is? That's the word we get our word energy from. So there are differences of ministries and there are differences of God-given energy. And then he says, but it is the same God which worketh in all. You see, the same God that equips Kurt Skelly to stand behind this pulpit and speak to my heart, as hard as it is to believe this morning, is the same God that is using me right now. And while my ministry may not ever be Kurt Skelly's, and, and my, my ministry may not ever be a Kenny Baldwin, can I get an amen, Jehovah Nisai, you know, like that. <laughs> my ministry may not ever be that, but the same God that works for those men is the same God that works for me. 
And as talented and as good as those men are, my point is this, God does not use them based upon what He has to offer or what they have to offer Him. He uses them based upon what He has to offer them. God is good to use even the lowliest of servants, and I certainly fall in that category. If you're going to be used of God and you're going to give God what is in your hand, you first must be relatable with it. Secondly, you must realize what it is. You must realize what God has put in your hands. God looks at Moses and He says, What is in thine hand? And Moses says, and and I read the Bible, and I'm just weird, I know it, I admit it, but I read the Bible and I add like the voice inflections to it. This is the way I read it here. What is in thine hand? Because God has like a supermanly voice, obviously. And Moses looks at it and he's like, a rod. (laughs) A rod. As insignificant as it may have seemed, it was a rod. You see, Moses here had a meager expectation about what God could do with this rod. You see, even in Genesis, in the later part of Genesis, in the story with Joseph and his brothers, and and Joseph goes to Pharaoh and he's trying to uh, get the land of Goshen for his brothers and his father. Even in that story we find in Egypt that Egyptians despised shepherds. And now God has called Moses to go into Egypt, stand before Pharaoh, And when God says, hey Moses, what is in thine hand? I'm sure Moses said, I I realize I'm going to have to get rid of this. Because this doesn't fly in Egypt. They don't like shepherds. This staff represents the trade that I am in, shepherding. There's no way I can use this. And yet God says, no, no, that's exactly what I'm going to use. And you say, Brother Andrew, is this like a, a sweet rod, like a cool rod? No, no, no. This was the rod you find like on the clearance aisle at Walmart. Like this wasn't the rod that that you have to go to like some boutique store like a Bass Pro Shops to get, which I don't know. They sell rods at Bass Pro. I'm just not not sure if it's the same rod. But but this rod would not have been like a special rod. Like I, I imagine this rod being so lame. And that when God says, Hey Moses, what's in your rod? I've got big plans for it. Moses kind of <laughs> just a rod. Not even like a hot rod, just a rod. Look, God uses what He's put in your hand. And you may say, Brother Andrew, I'm not talented, I'm not gifted, I have no qualities that I could say, oh sure, God's going to use that in a mighty way. I have nothing like that. I'm here to tell you, God has put it in your hand for a reason. And you have something that no one else can have and provide for someone else. What does He place in your hand? See, we, have to, we often have a meager expectation, but, but God doesn't need the very best to do something great. He just needs your very best. What does He put in your hands? There's a meager expectation. Then there's a mighty enhancement. Verses 3 and 4, you kind of see that Moses casts it on the ground. You know the miracle where God allows the, the rod to become a serpent. And then, I tell you what, it took a lot of faith for Moses to pick up a serpent. I don't know if you have much experience with serpents, but we live in Texas. 
I was fishing one time in our pond out at our ranch, you know, just fishing. And we had flipped over this uh, John boat. And we got out there, it was all clean. And out of nowhere, I'm tying my buddy's lure on. And this snake crawls out from the front seat and is about two inches from my foot. I started saying this, and please forgive me, I don't want to offend anyone. I started saying this, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And you say, it's wrong for you to take the Lord's name in vain. No, I was more sincere at that moment than I've ever been when I've said God's name. That, that was a prayer. Oh my God, remove this serpent. Man, so I have some experience, and it is one of my top three fears. Snakes, cockroaches, and mice. Can I get an amen? The other night, a mouse came up on our dresser. Was like You could hear it like the pennies and stuff. It was on the dresser, and my wife says, Honey, I think there's a mouse. I literally put her in front of me. And I wish I were making a joke. Look, it took a lot of faith for Moses to throw this rod on the ground. And what God did with that rod was more than what Moses could have ever imagined in his life. And that's the type of God we serve. You see, the Bible says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I preached in our Spanish church the other day. I have about a hundred Spanish folks there. And I preached on that verse. We're given the theme for the year. And, and the, the, the Spanish word for that is, and please don't correct me if I'm way off, mucho mas abundantemente. And if you speak Spanish, please, I don't... Look, this is the rod God's given me, so I'm putting it to use, okay? And I said, God has called you to do mucho más abundantemente. Like, that is an awesome way of saying that. But that is our God. The God that does more than what even our best ambitions and aspirations could be. That's the God that we serve. We place what He has put in our hands and we hand it over to Him. And He says, I'll do mucho más abundantemente with it. I will do so much more than what you could ever envision. That's what I'll do. That's the God that we serve. Don't hesitate to hand over what God has put in your hands and say, Lord, I realize it's not much. Lord, I realize that I, I, I probably will serve very few people. I will probably be a help to very few people. But what I have, I'll give to you. You see, if you're going to let God use what is in your hands, you must first be relatable with it. You must, second of all, you must realize what it is. Acknowledge what He's put in your hand, no matter how small it may seem. And then finally, you must relinquish ownership of it. Look in verse number 20. Now this is very, very special to me of chapter number 4. We didn't get to read it in our passage because Brother Shepherd cut me off and said I had to be out. Man, he was like... He said, you know, I have to do this, Brother Andrew. You have to be out by 1140 on account of your throat. And I said, really? You're concerned about my throat? He said, yeah, I'm going to cut it if you don't. <laughs> so so uh, we got to hurry. We weren't able to read all 20 verses, Brother Shepherd, but I'm just playing with you. Verse number 20, the Bible says, And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon uh, an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the, I want you to say the next three words with me. Ready, go. Rod of God. Now before it was Moses' rod. 
But something happens in 20 verses. It's no longer Moses' rod. In fact, if you study it out, this rod is mentioned about 10 to 12 more times in Moses' life. Uh, Every time God ever refers to the rod in conversation, He refers to it as Moses' rod. He says, take thy rod. Anytime it's within the the storyline, it's referred to as Moses' rod. But only one more time does Moses ever refer to the rod himself. And you want to know what he says? It's when uh, he's on the hillside and he's holding his hands up and Amalek is coming and as he, long as he holds his hands up, uh, the children of Israel win. And, 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 and the, it, the rod is present in that story. And in explanation of that battle strategy, you know what Moses says? And I will take the rod of God. Moses never again in Scripture claims ownership of this rod. Look, what I'm saying to you is, whatever God's put in your hand, give it to Him. You cannot take ownership of it and say, Lord, I'll do what I can with it. Lord, you can have this part of me, but uh, I'll, I'll hold on to this part. Anything you hold on to, listen to me, I promise you will strangle Hand it over to God. In the words of the famous theologian, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back, right? Just let it go. Allow God to do more than what you could ever imagine with it out of your hands and in His hands. There's a story in Acts chapter 5 of a a husband and wife by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 4, the Bible tells us the church is really growing. They've got everything in common. It says people are selling their houses and possessions and they're actually uh, allowing God to do great things in the local church right there in Acts chapter 4. It mentions in Acts chapter 4 a man by the name of Barnabas. And I don't know why it chooses him out of the rest of the company that is doing this, but in Acts chapter 4 we find Barnabas mentioned as selling land. The Bible, now here's a chapter break, which by the way are not inspired, but but there's a chapter break and the the first verse of chapter 5 begins to introduce us to Ananias and Sapphira. And the Bible says that they had a possession and they sold it. And they sell it for the purpose, I assume the same purpose that Barnabas had, but the only difference between Barnabas selling his land and Ananias and Sapphira selling their land is they wanted to hold back part of it. They didn't want to give it all to God. And and Peter looks at them and says, I don't know what you're trying to do. He says, you have not lied unto men, you've lied unto the Holy Spirit. You, You have messed up. When you had the land, was it not yours to do what you wanted with it? When you sold the land, was it still not what you, what you, within your power to do whatever you wanted to? But the moment you gave it to God and deceptively gave part of it in the, in the idea that you're giving all of it, that's where you erred. Look, what we do is we like to give God parts of us. Right? We are what I call compartmentalized Christians. Like, God, you can have all of me except like my entertainment choices. God, you can have every bit of me except my Saturday night. No, that's not the way this works. What we are is we're Ananias and Sapphira Christians. 
We're holding back part of it. God says, hey Moses, I need you to cast the rod on the ground and before, you, uh, before it can be anything special, it must be out of your hand. What is God wanting to do with your rod? I've got to hurry, but several years ago we had an uh, activity for our youth department. It was paintball. I am terrible at paintball. Uh, it's advantageous to be small and shifty, and I am none of them. My skin glows in the sunlight. I am a sitting duck. I'll never forget the last time I played paintball in our youth department, I was like, ready, go! And a kid shot me from across the course. I never even shot one paintball. I'm like, what in the world? I'm terrible at paintball. But one time, I had, I had shot all of the paintballs out of my hopper, which is, that's what that's called. It's not like a dish TV uh, DVR device. It's the hopper on the, the paintball gun. And I had shot all 200 or so of them. And I'm behind this blow-up uh, block shield kind of thing. And I'm, when you run out of paintballs, technically you're out. Unless you're going to stab them, which we, we, play, we don't play prison rules where we're, we're in Texas. So... So I'm out, and I remember sticking my gun up above this barrier, and I'm like, I'm out, and they're shooting me. Like, they're, cha -cha 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 -cha, and I'm like, I'm out, and they keep shooting at me. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just done with this. I'm just going to hang out here until the whole game's over. And man, I just, I chilled there for like five minutes. I mean, I was out. The, the judge knew I was out. And all of a sudden, as I'm just hanging out, out of my peripheral vision, I see, and I promise you it happened in like slow motion, this kid running around the barrier, like from me to the pulpit here. I, I, I thought that the you're going to die was a little bit much when he shouted, you're going to die, you know, like, give me a break, guy. And he just begins to just... I'm out! And I am just getting plastered with these paintballs. I'm like, good gracious. You know what that day taught me? Anything less than a total surrender is no surrender at all. You're either out or you're in. And when it comes to giving God... Everything that is in your hand. By the way, you didn't put it in your hand to begin with. What does God say? Who hath made man's mouth? <laughs> I listened to a sermon by C.H. Spurgeon the other day. Who maketh thee to differ? It's God. You have nothing of yours that was not given by God. So can I just say, offer it to Him freely. And allow Him to do mucho mas abundantemente with whatever He's put in your hand. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for the great privilege of preaching in this chapel. I pray, Lord, that You will bless these words that have been spoken. But more importantly, Lord, I pray that You would bless Scripture. I pray that Scripture would begin to develop in the hearts of these uh, college students. And Lord, I pray that this message would have been an encouragement for at least one of them today. I pray this in the precious name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.